All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to sit down and chat with Chelsea Wilkie. And Chelsea is from Utah. She's been mule deer hunting her whole life. And she has some serious stories and some big bucks to show for all of her adventures, all of her encounters. And so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I was super pumped to have her on because I'm about to go out on a mule deer hunt. And the more I can learn about mule deer hunting, the better. And who better to learn from than someone who's been doing it literally every year since she was born. But she's also a huge advocate for getting women and kids out hunting. She's got a Facebook page that she does that. And you'll hear more about that here in just a little bit. Before we dive into this episode, though, um, I just want to let you guys know, fall is upon us. I mean, it is moving in quick. The temperatures have been dropping like crazy around here, hopefully around most of the country, because I've been seeing big bucks on the ground on all the different social media platforms. People are out west elk and mule deer hunting. I've been seeing tons of videos of geese and teal, and yeah, you need to be out. This is like this is one of my favorite times of year because of the transition. It goes from being hot where you can't be out in the woods without being sweaty to very comfortable. You actually have to layer up every now and then now. I just love it. And so I'm going to be trying to get out as much as I can over the next couple of weeks. I do have a really, really busy schedule, including trying to drive out to Colorado to get a new vehicle. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how often I'm able to get out and hopefully... I start having some big buck encounters. We'll see. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. But let's jump into this episode right now. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dane had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. On the show with me today, I've got Chelsea Wilkie, and Chelsea is from Utah. She has some serious experience when it comes to hunting uh, mule deer out in Utah, and so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, Would you mind sharing with listeners, because I I got to read the answers to your questions on like this little questionnaire I send send out. And one of the things you said was that you've been hunting mule deer every year since you were born. And I mean, I kind of grew up like that, except with whitetail, but mule deer, that's a whole different ball game. I mean, it's not as easy as putting your kid in a car seat next to you in a stand or next to you in a deer blind. So, um, how has that been getting out, making time for it every year? Um, it's kind of like a national holiday here. Nice. Um, not so much for like bow and muzzleloader, but rifle hunt. Um, even the schools are out. They get an early weekend for the opening and hunting seasons here are really short. They're only, um, a week long minus the bow hunt. It's four weeks, but still it's pretty short, um, time span and it's during August. So it's hot. So, I mean, it's difficult. And so muzzleloader runs, um, it's actually late this year. It runs from a Wednesday to a Wednesday. So it's super hard. You got to take the time off. So everyone just kind of makes it a vacation. And um, I have gone every single year with my grandpa. And he just throws you on the front of his four-wheeler and off you go. 
And so now we've started it with my daughter. She just turned two, but she's gone every single year since she was born as well. That's so, so cool. I love, I love my kids are three and five and getting them into the outdoors is one of the funnest things ever. I've got, I've got this little e-bike that I ride around the property and I'm on 20 acres and they, they like surf on the frame of it and they hold on to the center of the handlebars and I just ride in every single day. I get home and both kids are like, dad, dad, can we help you find deer on your bike? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. And my, my daughter always wants to bring this little orange, like click gun. It's not even a cap gun. It's just like, it's got a trigger pull and that's about it. And she brings it with, and she always wants to go and shoot deer with the, with her little click gun. Okay. Now that's cute. Yeah. It, uh, Good to get girls involved. Yeah. I, it's funny. I always thought, you know, like I'm going to have a boy and I should have known better. My mom is like the most diehard hunter out of anybody in my family. And then my sisters, they all got into it and they've like kind of been in and out of it to some extent. But when I had a son, I was like, oh man, he's going to be all about it. And then I had a daughter and I just didn't, I don't know why. Like I always viewed myself like taking my son out. Well, he's into it, but he's also like, yeah, I'd rather jump on the trampoline or ride my bike or wrestle. And my daughter, it's like every time she sees an animal, dad, let's, sh all of her T's are K's. So she's like, let's shoot him. Let's shoot him over and over. <laughs> okay. That's cute. Um, that's, I was the only child, only girl. So I got raised like one of the boys basically. And my little girl, she would rather play with like cars and go hunting and stuff than play with princesses and dolls. Yeah. We just went to Disneyland and zero interest in the princesses, but <laughs> by golly, the cars, anything like that. So she's going to grow up just like me and she already has a love for hunting. So that's so awesome. What, uh, what is the age in Utah? for kids to go out hunting or like to actually get a tag it's 14 well no okay. i think they just changed it to 12 it's 12 now wow so she's got a long ways to go but yeah she gets to go and experience it at least i need to look what it is here in missouri i honestly i mean we when our kids were really young we were out in colorado and then we moved back here to missouri but I need to find out what the age is to get my son out because he's probably only a few years away. I think it might be eight here. Um, really? That's cool. There's a lot of states. It seems like the farther east you get, the younger the age is to get out hunting. And then uh, vice versa, the farther west you get, the older you have to be to hunt. But I think for me growing up, it was 12. And it seemed like a pretty good age. Yeah, I think 12, at least you can hold a gun or whatever. Yeah. Do you uh, uh, do you have any type of like little BB gun or anything that she's playing with? or? Well, she has some like fake ones, but she's getting a BB gun for Christmas. Nice. So. That's awesome. I discovered, I discovered this. Um, it's like a scope adapter. It's not the phone scope, but it's like a knockoff version of that. Um, <clears throat> but I can hook my phone up to my scope and that way, like when I take my son out shooting, whether it's a BB gun or a 22, I can show him on the phone as we're aiming, 
like, hey, you want to hit the soda can? When the cross, you know, is on top of it, that's when you pull the trigger. And he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he's really enjoyed that. Uh, we just go out that's and shoot. That's actually a really good idea. Yeah, I, I'll just set up like a table and like a sandbag or something like that to keep it fairly stable. And then he always gets to pull the trigger and he loses his mind. It's like when I go shooting, like I'll just shoot as many like in a row as I want to. And I just love hearing the sound of steel at, you know, two, 300 yards for him. It's like he shoots a soda can and it's about five minutes of celebrating. And then he's ready to come back and do it again. That's awesome. So much fun taking the kids and watching them learn to love something that we grew up loving. So it's one of my favorite things. Oh yeah. What, uh, what are your plans for this year? Uh, I know when we were talking, you said you didn't actually draw a tag this year. Yeah. So I didn't draw a tag this year, which is a bummer, but, um, my husband has a tag that starts next Wednesday for muzzleloader. And so, and it runs from Wednesday to Wednesday. So we'll be hitting it hard every day. Hopefully we've had some really nice bucks. Um, this deer behind me up here, I don't know if you can kind of see him, but, uh, we named him dream buck. My grandpa actually shot him. We changed, we chased him for three years. Um, had him on camera every single year, um, in velvet. And then he would disappear come, uh, hunting time. And my grandpa got super lucky um, the second morning of the rifle hunt, and he scored 184. Oh, my gosh. And we shot him on um, our 10 acres of land. And um, so he has a tag this year. And the last time that we shot a nice deer, uh, I didn't have a tag either. So hopefully we can get something. And we have a buck that is a little bit bigger than he is um that's been hanging around on our cameras and this year is a little bit different because utah changed their baiting um laws so you used to be able to bait up until two weeks before your hunt started so regardless if archery was going or muzzleloader or whatever you could still bait up to two weeks and everything had to be pulled two weeks before well now they've changed it so you could bait all summer while you're scouting but bait had to be pulled two weeks before the first hunt started for the year. Okay. So we had salt blocks out for the summer, had great movement. And then um, once we had to pull the bait, we had to move our cameras because nothing comes in because there's no reason for them to anymore. So we had to kind of hit the ground a little harder and hit on at on X a little bit harder and move our cameras to some uh, water trails. And we've actually had pretty good luck with it. So nice kind of new tactics this year, but fingers crossed that we can make something happen for one of them. Sometimes it's cool when you like are forced to switch strategies, even though you're used to doing a certain thing, like doing bait up until two weeks before, but maybe moving cameras and, and finding that new strategy of going to water trails is going to pay off for you. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Do you guys, so when you, when you say bait, is it any like hard grain or you have to pull any type of mineral altogether? Anything, okay. anything and everything that's an attractant. So 
whether it's a salt block, grain, um, like the jelly licks, anything like that has to be pulled. So hmm. yeah. we just stick to salt blocks because it's a lot easier than having to rake it up. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> we do, we'll do corn a lot throughout the year. And then, um, it's like right when I think, I don't know, they bounce it back and forth. I think it's typically 30 days before season opens. You have to have everything pulled, but you can still do mineral. And so like people will put out the liquid, uh, jam, whether it's acorn or apple scented, whatever, but it like can't be a hard grain. So you can't put out corn. You can't put out like a pile of oats or anything like that. And so I just, it gets so confusing. There's certain years where I'm like, I'm just not going to do anything. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I've used, I've used minerals in the past, like liquid minerals. You pour it on the ground. It just kind of seeps into the earth. And after, after like half a year, there will be a crater that the deer have dug out. I mean, they dig up it just to keep getting that little bit that's left in the dirt. They do that here too. We have, um, we did, it's called black magic. It's, it smells like black licorice, but, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a mineral, like a powdered mineral. Yep. We did that a couple years ago and we thought we dug it all out, but they're still digging a hole. They're digging to China to get that mineral. <laughs> Yep. I use, I use that exact, uh, mineral for the first time this year because I normally go and get corn and I went to the back and there was no corn. And I was like, this is weird. Like I'll just go to Walmart or something and get the big 50 pound bags. And I went back there and I'm like, man, people have bought it all up. No big deal. I'm looking around and they just had these tiny little bags, like that big of black magic. And I'm like, okay. I'll give this a try. And I get, there was like some powder on the outside of the bag and I smelled it. I was like, Oh wow, that's potent. Like it was so sweet smelling and kind of bitter at the same time. And I get up there and I bought like five bags of that stuff, which I could have bought like 10 bags of 10, 50 pound bags of corn for the same price. Right. But I get up, check out and I'm walking across the front of the store and like in one of those little cutouts where there's usually customer service or like uh, an optometrist or something, I just see pallets of corn. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I just paid for this. I'm not going back and returning it. I need to get out to the woods. And so, um, but yeah, I put that stuff out and it has been amazing. The deer love it. And I didn't realize the rain would harden it and almost turn it into a salt lick type of thing. Right. It's it was different when we used it, but the deer really like it. So what, what's your strategy? I'm like a novice mule deer hunter. I've been out one time. This is going to be my second year going out. And I just, I'm kind of clueless as to how to hunt, hunt mule deer. Normally I have an elk tag. And then I also, if I can get a mule deer tag and then I basically elk hunt. And if I see a mule deer, I'll take it. But what, what do you do? What are your strategies for actually just going after mule deer? So, I mean, it depends kind of on the area. In our area, like I was um, talking to you um, before we started recording, is our area is super cliffy. And so um, it is extremely hard to bow hunt. 
Um, and we take our two-year-old with, so it just ain't gonna happen, bow hunting. So as for muzzleloader and rifle, the best tactic we have um, kind of gathered is to keep moving. And I know that sounds really weird. We're not just sitting, but um, they're gonna move around you. So we kind of, we live in a cliffy area, but it's also full of oak brush, thick, thick oak brush. So if you don't see them the first time and you make a loop on the dirt road, you're going to see them the second or the third time. So um, a lot of the deer that we've shot um, have been literally like we probably passed them five times and then we just caught them in an opening and then we could kind of sit and make a game plan after that, but, and move in. But the best thing that we found is we hop in our side by side and go for a ride. That's, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of Western big game hunting because the elk camp that I go to, everybody brings their four wheelers and side by sides. And I'm like, I could just do this. If I came out here for a week and just rode around on four wheelers and side by sides, I'd be happy. And then to throw in hunting on top of that, be able to actually go out and pull the trigger or just stalk a couple animals throughout the week. It's, it's a lot better than sitting in a tree stand, although sitting in a tree stand is pretty great too. See, and I'd always, I would love to try sitting in a tree stand, but I don't know. I just enjoy the, 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 the relaxing part of the hunt, which is the ride. Because yeah. then the real work starts when you spot something. So, <laughs> yeah. And my daughter loves to go for rides. So she enjoys it. We enjoy it. And that's really the best strategy we've found. We've sat and sat and sat and they'll just move right around you. So do you guys get out on foot quite a bit? Like, do you have to put long stalks on animals or are they typically fairly close? To the trailer. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Everything that I've shot has been like 500 yards away from a dirt road. But you've got it figured my husband, out. On the other hand, <laughs> I need to learn from you. <laughs> well, I my grandpa always said that no deer is worth shooting if you have to work that hard for it. <laughs> because just he's older, and yeah. I mean, we own property that we can basically drive anywhere to it. You know, so. Yeah. We have two established dirt roads that run through it, and then we can basically drive until we hit the cliffy ravines, and then we can drag it from there. But my husband, on the other hand, likes to venture out and shoot stuff in the bottom of ravines and make it more work than it needs to be, but it's fine. So yeah, we actually have a canyon that we call Devil's Point because... It is horrendous to get to and uh, great elk movement in there. But um, during like the, we don't see them in um, rifle and we don't see any deer in there during archery. And I just think cause it's too cold and it's too hot. So during muzzleloader, we can kind of catch them in that transition area and there is water that runs in the bottom. And so, but it's primarily elk country. And we've seen a couple really nice deer up in there, but it's one of those things that even you're pushing the limits on a muzzleloader. Like it would be better to have a rifle up in there because you're about like 250, 300 yards, which is nothing for a rifle, but for a muzzleloader, 
like hundred yards and less is, you know, what you want for that. But he shot um, a deer there a couple years ago and missed. And then we went after the other one that just kind of sat there and um, had gorgeous dark horns and ended up being one of those um, he, she deer, I guess it was a female with antlers. Oh, so, wow. but it rolled all the way to the bottom. <laughs> so yeah. So if he would have shot it and it dropped where it was at, it probably would have been a 30 minute pack out after quartering it, but it rolled all the way to the bottom. So he likes to make me work. <laughs> I'm kind of a lazy, I'm, I'm a lazy, but not lazy hunter. I'll put in all the work, all the time, all the effort. But if there's a chance for me to shoot something and make the hard work less hard work, then I'll do it. Yeah. No, I feel that. I think, I mean, I love, I love the adventure. And I was talking to another guy on the show about this recently. I like the, I like with Western hunting, how you can look at a mountain and you're just like, so curious, like, what does that look like? I can just imagine 200 elk on the other side of that, like on the other slope, or I can just picture a giant mule deer or a black bear or whatever. And then you can just go check it out. And that's something that I don't get with archery hunting or like tree stand hunting here in Missouri. Like I'm looking at the neighbor's property, always thinking like, Oh, I bet the deer are just moving through that strip of woods like crazy. And I have no way to know. And so, I don't know, there's something exciting about that and intriguing about that. But at the same time, if I could do that whole adventure and go and look and put stocks on animals and then be guaranteed to shoot one like 100 yards from the trail on my walk out, I would take that for sure. Yeah, it's where we live. We can actually walk out our front door and set up a spotting scope and see the two mountains that we hunt on. We can't see our property because it's up the canyon a little bit farther, but we can see um, two of the areas that we hunt. And so we can just watch from our front porch. That's And it's crazy, but... I would give anything for that. I can see an orchard behind my garage, and like every now and then I'll go and shoot my bow, and that garage door will slowly open, and I've got like one buck target, and then I've got a bunch of just block targets. And it'll be opening, and all of a sudden, I'll just see, like, 10 different deer feet. And I'm like, oh, I only have one target out there. And (laughs) I see deer back there all the time. Of course, as soon as archery season starts, I don't see them anymore. But That's exactly um, how it goes. I wish I I could glass, like, the western units that, that I go out and hunt from my back door. That would be amazing. That's, like, part of the battle, too, is... The brush is so thick, but if you can find a high spot, you can kind of just sit there and scope your whole area and then make a move too. So it's another one of those kind of be lazy things, but it's really proactive. So kind of snack break and scout type thing. And that's basically all we do when it comes to hunting season. Nice. No, so we don't even check cameras. Um, we just, you know, we check them up until like, we'll pull them, we'll pull all of our cameras this weekend okay. and just cause everything will get so scattered because you've got to 
you well it'll be the camo army this coming wednesday and even like on our private property like a lot of people don't hunt up there it's a lot of people from like salt lake um city folk that bought you know 10 acres of land to try and experience the outdoors so no one you can only hunt on your own property but no one else hunts so our neighbor will let us hunt on his so we technically kind of have 20 acres but really we have 10 and so we don't really have anybody up there to bother us but if we go to any of our uh, any of our other spots you can just kind of like pick out camel on the hillsides and stuff and it's kind of funny and then when it comes to rifle season it's just a pumpkin patch and so everything gets scattered from the area anyways so we'll watch them clear through archery and then just pull the cameras because it's not even they're not even going to be in the same area well they'll be in the same area but they're not going to be hitting the same water trails and everything so that's why driving around is helpful too so i've i've never had the pleasure of um hanging trail cameras like out west out in the mountains or in mule deer or elk country what's the what's like the craziest thing you guys have seen on trail camera um so before like the like baiting everything changed we have a turkey feeder up on our property and um we set up a camera on it and usually we'll get the does with the fawns and then turkeys and birds and um my grandma loves to look at the pictures, loves to see the babies and stuff. So it's mostly just for, it's not for hunting purposes. It's just for fun. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, you know, we, we'll pull it and check just in case. Cause once in a great while you'll get something decent walk through. And, uh, I just kind of do a quick scroll through. And then if I see something out of the ordinary, then I'll stop and take a peek. And, um, it was just constantly does, fawns, turkeys, just pounding that feeder all day long. And then all of a sudden there was nothing. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. There's still food in there because we put 150 pounds of feed and it's only been, um, it's only been, uh, there's my husband. It's only been, you know, uh, a couple days. And so uh, go back through, kind of figure out, okay, why is, why isn't there anything? And um, we have a mountain lion that's less than 50 yards away from our camp trailer. Oh, dang. That walked through and wiped out a bunch of turkeys. And uh, it took, you know, a good couple of weeks for everything to come back. But it was kind of scary to think that. But And when we pulled it, too, we were up camping. And so I pulled it, had my laptop checked through it well that was only a couple days before so we knew he was up there prowling around and my mom brought her little yorkie and i'm like hey you should probably like keep a much better eye on him yeah than what we do collar or something on it (laughs) yeah so yeah that's kind of the craziest thing we've caught um coyotes you know just the typical stuff but for how low our property is, it was kind of odd to see a mountain lion that low. So yeah, what do you do? You guys hunt a whole lot other than mule deer. Like, do you get into elk hunting? Do you try to 
draw like some of the big tags like moose, mountain goat, bighorn? Yeah, good luck. I've been putting in for premium limited entry deer and I have 14 points. So 14 years I have been putting in that long for it. And, um, you know, it's one of those once in a lifetime tags, you're going to draw it. You're never going to draw it again. So, uh, unless you have lots of money that you can buy a ton of points with it, yeah, but it's $10 a point and you need probably 20 points plus to draw. So, and even then you still don't have very good odds. So, um, as for like elk and stuff, um, we can buy like over the counter, like spike elk tags and stuff or any bull tags, but the units are sparse. And, um, by the time the spike elk hunt comes along the limited entry, cause we live on a limited entry elk unit Okay. by the time those run around, they're so scattered, but good luck. So, but we do like predator hunting and trapping in the winter and then, um, fly fishing. Nice. What, uh, what's trapping like out there? I mean, do you guys, do you guys have links out there or is it, are you mainly going after like bobcat, coyote, raccoon, things like that? Bobcat, coyote, fox, um, raccoon. We don't really want to catch any raccoon, but we're mostly into bobcat because bobcat out here can, I mean, pelts go for 600 plus. Holy cow. It's crazy. Yeah, if you can clean them and tan them nice, 600 plus a pelt. So it's, it's, and trapping is like extremely competitive out here. Okay. They won't, people won't say it is, but it's like even worse than like saying like where your honey hole is for fishing. Yeah. It is way worse than that. And so it's kind of this like hidden um, competitive thing that no one really talks about, but heaven forbid you look that way when you're out, you know, during trapping season. So do you, what, uh, what are like the re- requirements for your traps out there? Cause I, <clears throat> as far as Western trapping goes, there was one guy that I used to goose hunt with and he would trap, but in Colorado, if you caught a bobcat, you had to catch it in a live trap it couldn't be a foothold. It couldn't be a snare. It couldn't be anything like that. So he literally just had to like brush in a cage and get it to walk in the cage and then it would trap it. Is it the same out there? Um, so you can live trap, but um, we can do footholds and okay. stuff. Um, snares have kind of become a thing of the past out here. You can only snare certain things. And so it's one of those things of you can snare but what happens if you set your snare the first day and you come back two days later to check and, um, you know, you've got something in there that you're not supposed to and it's um, dead from being trapped, in, you know, so it's yeah. just kind of one of those things. Of, so we just do mostly footholds and um, go from there and whatnot. But. If I, you catch something you don't have because bobcats out here, here you have to have a tag for. Okay. So if you don't have a tag, well, you got to release that. So do you have to buy like an individual tag for each one or do you just buy like a license for the year? So you have a fur bearers permit that you, you have to go take a course on. 
and then you have to buy each individual bobcat tag oh dang and each year varies off of numbers so um one year you could buy six tags and then the next year you could be limited to three okay because just the winter was really hard and um whatnot so like last year we could get four and then it snowed a lot so everything got buried everything you know we just we caught two and we didn't get to finish our two other tags so we just couldn't battle the snow yeah and that sounds that sounds amazing how sorry i didn't even know we were going to get into trapping at all today but now i'm curious (laughs) how how long are your trap lines that you run is it like over the span of a couple miles or do you keep it pretty contained um everything's pretty contained um where we go it's kind of just like you set one on one side of the hill and you jump over to the other side and set one on that side because you've got it's like i said it's so cliffy that you've got whole different like ecosystems on each side of the hills So, you know, one side's full of luscious green trees and brush and whatnot, and you can jump on the other side and it's sparse full of cactus. It's really weird, but so we've got tons of, you know, you can have bobcat on one side and the other side just full of badgers. So we kind of just set for both and they're, I mean, our traps are maybe like all less within a mile radius. Oh, okay. And we at like 10. So, I mean, they're not very far apart. Yeah. And it only takes us like 30 minutes to check them. So. That's nice. Pretty quick. I watch all those Alaska shows where it takes them like seven hours to run the trap line. And they just do it over and over and over. And people think like, man, that's crazy. You could break down. I would, I would pick that life over just about any other. I always joke with my wife. I'm like, if anything were to happen to you and the kids, like heaven forbid, I'm gone. I'm in Alaska running a trap line. Nobody will ever see me again. I'm going to be like the Alaskan bush people or the life below zero guys where they live in a tiny cabin in the middle of nowhere, like fighting off wolves and grizzlies, trying to keep all their salmon <laughs> salmon safe. I don't know. That, really, that would be a life. Yeah. Imagine walking out your back door and like just being able to shoot a moose. At yeah, any that's point. like a dream. <laughs> Maybe there's may- moose here, but we don't see them very often. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, I'm like, is there like a timeshare for property <laughs> up in Alaska that I can just get to be a part of? I would, I would totally jump on board with that. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started, and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go, and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. 
Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast. And so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through. And you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, One of my teammates on Real Camel Girl lives in Alaska now. She just moved there. Oh, gosh. I could, I could maybe hook you up. That sounds great. Yeah, I'll go up there and just hang out. I've been twice. Both times it was to Kodiak. Um, and they don't have moose there. There's a tiny like reindeer population. And they're like, they said they're not like the Alaskan caribou. They're actually reindeer that were brought over from someplace in Russia years and years ago. Um, really? But there's like no wolves on Kodiak. There's no elk on Kodiak, no moose on Kodiak. And so I'm like, man, it's not the full Alaska experience, but Kodiak is a whole different world. Right. I mean, the amount of bears there, we went out, we went out on this bear viewing deal and we probably saw 30 to 40 in one day, and we had them as close as six yards. Like monster grizzlies with cubs. Wow. It was it was gnarly. But yeah, I want to go to mainland Alaska at some point. Just drop me off in the middle of nowhere. Maybe I find my way out. Maybe That's I die exactly a happy death up there by myself. It's exactly what I want. Um, Give but, me a caribou tag. I want to shoot a caribou. Yeah, I watch. I mean, do you watch Meat Eater? Yeah. the The episode where they go up in caribou hunt, and it's just like they saw the herd just trickling through. I mean, like groups of three up to twenty, just all day long. I want to see that so bad. I I can't imagine just like being in the middle of the biggest caribou migration on the planet, and feeling so small, like not even seeing a plane fly over, not hearing any traffic noise. Um, oh, that'd be amazing. That would be, that would be a dream. Honestly, even if I didn't like shoot anything, if I could just take, get my spotting scope and just watch them. Yep. Just, I think that would be fantastic. Is that, is that like top of your bucket list hunt or what would be number one? Number one is a caribou. My number one was to shoot a buck in velvet. And nice. I actually shot, um, I called him bucket list because he was the first animal I took off of my bucket list that marked off two of the items on my bucket list. And so, um, and it was on our property and I, uh, it was during the rifle hunt. And so you never see a buck in, in velvet during the rifle because it's so late. I mean, you're entering rut you know, almost in some years. And so um, we had him on camera in August. And so he did have velvet then, but we never seen him again. And I just happened to see him when I went on my very first solo hunt. Went by myself. My husband had to work. It was like a Tuesday or something. I had the day off and I didn't even make it to, we just left our side by side up with our trailer and I didn't even make it to the campsite. I was just right outside of camp and he was just passing through 
and I shot him uh, on the rifle hunt, and he scored 181. So my goal was to shoot Jeez. a trophy-worthy buck. So anything over 24 inches wide is classified as trophy in, um, well, pretty much anywhere over here but Utah. And um, I also wanted to shoot a buck in velvet. And so he was tw- almost 25 inches wide, and he scored 181. So he hit the trophy mark and uh, had the velvet. And so got to mark two off. I named him bucket list. And so those two are gone. So now it's the third thing on the list was caribou. So it's now moved to number one. And then I want to get a muzzleloader buck on a limited entry unit, but I just am not lucky enough to draw one. So, yeah. And then after that, it's like antelope, um, move, you know, just kind of moving down the, the species of shooting something big, you know? Yeah. I joke with my buddy, Sean, I'm like, dude, you need to like pluck a couple beard hairs out and sell them as good luck charms because he drew a Colorado moose tag three years ago now. And then two years later, the first time he like tried to draw something again, he drew a mountain goat tag. And I'm like, dude, there's people who go their whole lives without getting any of them. And you just drew them like every other year. I was like, all right, so I'm going to plan it out. 2022, you're going to get your bighorn tag because with his luck, that's just how it goes. And then a friend of ours that was on the mountain goat hunt with us last year, he just drew his mountain goat tag this year. And so I'm like, it's just crazy. Yeah, so they're going back. I think they – Wow. What's the date? They may have already left, actually. It was about this time last year that we were in the mountains chasing after them, so – I can't imagine. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't have the luck. No. I can't even draw a general season tag, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even get my first choice mule deer tag, and it only takes one preference point to get. <laughs> yeah. And, like, here we've kind of figured out, like, to draw a tag every year, you kind of have to, like, flip-flop between rifle and muzzleloader. And so we both hunted muzzleloader last year. And so this year I put in for rifle. Well, my husband's like, no, I'm just going to stick with muzzleloader. I like it too much. I'm not going to flip flop. Well, of course he drew the tag and then me trying to get a tag, I did not draw. So I can't even draw trying to work the system a little bit. So to get a tag, cause that's what we primarily, you know, eat is deer. So that, you know, two deer lasts us well over a year plus I donate some so yeah I that that would be the tough part for me even when I lived in Colorado luckily there were units that I could hunt over the counter but I just love to hunt all the time and it would it'd be very challenging to be somewhere where it's like oh I can't even deer hunt this year you know like where I'm at Missouri's awesome because I mean it's only whitetail here uh, they did just open an elk season last year, but they only gave out six tags for it. and But they had all six get filled. Um, and so I think they bumped up the quota this year. But all I have to do is go to Walmart or get on the app and pay 17 bucks. I can get two any deer tags, two turkey tags, and then I can go on and buy as many uh, extra $7 doe tags as I want. And so I messed up the other day. I was trying to buy Wait, they're only seven dollars and 17 to get that many tags 
seven yeah 17 bucks and you get two any deer so you can use it for a buck or a doe you have to shoot the doe or you have to shoot um one buck after like the first part of archery season because archery season goes from right now or september 15th all the way up to like the second week in november and then it takes a break for rifle season and then it picks back up and goes into january and so you have like months and months that you can archery hunt um but yeah you get four tags two turkey two deer for 17 bucks and then you can just buy like i went on and i accidentally bought um three doe tags but i clicked on the rifle instead of the archery hunt and i was like dang it now i have to go back so for 42 dollars, i got six six doe tags and i won't fill them all i didn't intend to buy that many but i just clicked the wrong button so so to put in for the hunts so for each hunt you put in it's ten dollars so say like i put in for limited entry deer that's ten dollars. General season is ten dollars. So how many of our applications you put in for? It's ten dollars. If you draw a general season tag, it's forty dollars. So technically it's fifty for one tag. And then if you draw anything premium, the prices go from like the lowest I think is one hundred and sixty. So plus your ten dollar entry fee. So it's like one hundred and seventy bucks to like elk that could you know or like a moose tag that's. 900 to you know 1500 bucks depending on what you draw yeah so it's like gotta have a good job to come out here too i know i tell people about the hunts that i go on and they think i'm making bank and i'm like i i hardly make any money guys i just don't drink coffee i don't spend money like i don't buy a bunch of alcohol i don't like i just put that money towards hunting instead Cause even for Colorado, I need to just abandon hope on Colorado, uh, like the big three, because they bump the prices up to where every preference point when you apply each year is a hundred dollars. So I'm spending three hundred dollars a year just to get preference points for moose, bighorn, and mountain goat, and yeah. it's it's ridiculous. I'm like, okay, so by the time I actually draw any one of those three. I'm probably going to be, I don't know, 10 grand into it. And, well, maybe not 10 grand, but, you know, like, I guess between all three, I'm probably close to it. I could just put that money towards, like, an Alaskan hunt and go up there and hunt. You can go shoot a caribou um, fully guided at a lodge for 10 grand. Yeah. I, uh... My my dream is to do a fly-in float-out hunt. So, like, they drop you off in a bush plane, and then they give you a pack raft, and you just hunt the whole way down the river on the way out. My number one is a moose, though, but I would definitely buy... I'd probably get, like, a big combo. I'd get, like, the moose tag, a caribou tag, probably a bear tag, like a black bear tag, and a wolf tag, because... Yeah wolf tags there even for non-residents in certain spots are like $50 and wolves That's, are the we coolest go to Idaho animal ever. Spot. Oh yeah. Cause Idaho has open wolf season, don't they? Yep, they do. So I think next year we're going to um, buy a black bear tag and a couple wolf tags and go up with our, one of our friends that hunts bear up there every year. And 
So I think um, non-resident bear tags up there are like only like 200 bucks, 250 maybe, which is just as much as it would be here to put oh, in yeah. for a draw. So, and we get all of the nuisance like bears from like Yellowstone, any like national park. Um, for some reason they dump them on our mountain. So nice. <laughs> we just get nuisance bears and we have high bear tag net. Well, kind of pretty high for our area, but they're all just nuisance bears. So I, I've had a couple bear tags, never even seen one while hunting, but we did come across some tracks one year. Um, but I might get one this year because I think even as a non-resident, I think uh, an extra bear tag like to go with whatever you're hunting is like a hundred bucks in Colorado right now. And Which so, is not horrible. No. Well, in comparison to like the elk tags, all my buddies got elk tag or they're getting elk tags this year and it's like six fifty for non-resident. Well, and yeah, my wife's like, Hey, how much, how much do we need to have in the bank account in, in case you do draw your moose? Because my moose tag this year, it was the first year that I could actually potentially get it. Um, I only have four preference points. So I know my odds are like, I'd probably have a better chance of getting struck by lightning while holding a winning lottery ticket, you know? Um, but I was like, well, uh, <laughs> that's the problem, babe. It's like $2,400 if I draw it as a non-resident. And she's like, why, why are you trying to draw that? You're wasting a hundred dollars a year trying to waste $2,400 a year. And I'm like, yeah, basically, but it'll be worth it. Yeah. Even, even out of state mule deer out there this year, I think I paid like three fifty for that tag. Really? Yeah. Out of state here in Utah is horrendous. Even for just like a general season tag. I mean, so you ten dollars to put in and then i think a tag is like almost three hundred dollars just for a general season that you're probably not even you're maybe going to shoot a two-point on yeah because no one i mean you have to put in i mean it's taken us ever since i was born to shoot something that hit the trophy mark yeah so i mean we've gotten a lot better in our tactics over the years but i mean it took me 20 years before I shot something trophy worthy on a general season unit. So, and I mean, we didn't shoot, I didn't shoot horrible deer, but way above average. Cause our units are called two point units. They just, the genetics aren't there and yeah. they're hit and miss and stuff. And so, I mean, you're putting in for, we see people from California all the time that hunt here. I'm like, why did you pick here? <laughs> Of all of the places you could go hunt, like why here? You need to like, put well, because like... we proved that this is like the best odds. And I'm like, who did you talk to? Because <laughs> like I can guarantee, like, unless you know someone that has private property that you can get in on that's not already taken up by an outfitter, like you're maybe gonna see ten deer the whole time because they don't know the country, they don't know where to go, and they just paid a fortune to come and hunt a general season deer and not get anything. So it's crazy. Yeah. I, I view it like being a non-resident going out there. I view it as like, Oh, I'm spending, you know, maybe a thousand dollars on the trip, 
but I could spend that same thousand dollars and go down to the beach and, you know, get a margarita one a night and it's going to be the same amount of money. Whereas here I get to go out to the mountains. I get to hunt. I get to do what I love. And so it's like a vacation hunting trip combo. And that's how I justify it. Some people are like, you're crazy and your wife's crazy for letting you do that and spend all your money. And I'm like, uh, she just loves me a lot. <laughs> That's yeah. You gotta, you gotta have someone that does that. And thankfully me and my husband both hunt. So it's just kind of a, we just do it. Yeah. Don't even think twice about it. I think my wife would be a lot more into it if we did still live out in the mountains. Uh, she came out last year. She shot her first white tail. Um, she shot a doe last year, uh, but we sat, we sat in the morning, took a break in the middle of the day and then sat again in the evening. And in the morning we were out there for like two and a half hours when she like looks back up at me, she had a stand like right below me. I was trying to film for her and she looks back up at me and she goes, is this really all you do when you're out here? And I'm like, this is it. (laughs) Just sit in the tree and watch. And you may not see anything all day long, but you're at least outside. And she's like, yeah, 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 this isn't for me. She's like, she's a workhorse. We always joke. Like if we're, if we're going on a hike or doing anything, if I'm carrying a bag and she doesn't have anything, she's like upset with me. She's like, give me it. I want to do something. I want to work. I want to feel useful and productive. And I'm like, okay, you can carry the bag. That's fine. Um, and that's why <laughs> tree sand hunting is not for her. I don't think I could do it either. I need to, I need to explore a little bit. Yeah. I'd get too anxious just sitting there. Well, like even what you guys are doing, that would be amazing to just drive like side by side, hit trails, glass, do it again until you know the one you're looking for pops out i like that idea hiking is overrated sometimes (laughs) i that's i mean you could sit i know a lot of people do sit in tree stands or saddles and stuff or just even sit in a blind and they've had good luck but we only have a week to hunt so you've got to cover as much country as you can in that week to battle the army that's up there trying to shoot the same deer that you're trying to shoot. So we've just, I don't know if we had more time, I think we could maybe sit it out and wait, but you've got seven days. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) Yeah. That, uh, that feels constricting for sure. Um, yeah, it's stressful. (laughs) Can you, can you tell me about, uh, the different, businesses that you mentioned in your questionnaire, uh, real camo girls and desert sage skulls. I saw some of the pictures of the skulls that you do. How did you get into that? Because those things are like out of this world. I was like, Holy cow. Who like who it looked like a chandelier. I I think it was a cow skull or maybe it was a Buffalo skull, but I was like, where did that come from? Like, how'd you, how'd you figure that out? So, um, uh, when I was still in high school, so about 10 years ago, um, I shot a deer, um, it was a two by four, really odd, older regressing deer. And, um, he just wasn't quite like big enough for a shoulder mount, but like he was wall worthy. He was the biggest I'd shot. Um, and so, 
Uh, I kind of figured out, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos, figured out how to uh, European my own deer because no one really around here does taxidermy. We, I, I have to travel. So yeah. um, I'm like, I'm not going to travel to European a deer if I can do it. So I learned how to do it by watching YouTube and um, kind of just started from there. And so I just kind of grew. And now um, I own Desert Sage Skulls. I do just strictly European. Um, and there kind of became a market um, for bedazzling uh, steer skulls because we are a very large like farming community where I live. And um, so I bedazzled one and um, for a client and it kind of just stemmed from there. And that's new. Um, I just started that probably like two months ago. Okay. I've already sold three skulls. Um, I'm working on it. One of my own deer skulls right now, just for fun, because I have a couple people, well, what would it look like if we shot something and you did it? And so like, I'll just do my own and show it off, you know? So yeah. mostly it started from just learning how to European and here we are bedazzling skulls for fun. So how many, how many stones does that take like to do a full cow skull so i buy a 10 pound tub of these like beads and i use about three quarters of a tub jeez to do a cow skull to do a deer i think it took about a quarter um well almost a quarter i'm almost done with it so it'll be about a quarter to okay. and they're heavy i mean but they look good yeah, so they do they look awesome my wife looks at like all the decorative stuff like that. I mean, I've got, I've got Europeans. I've got one actual taxidermy deer, but she's always like, Hey, can I, she's like, can I, can I try something with these? And I'm like, no, you're not experimenting with mine. Like you can come out and shoot your own because if it doesn't turn out, I don't, I mean, I guess I could just paint it white and it'll look like a European again, but yeah, yeah I don't, I don't trust the process yet. <laughs> yeah. We, I had a friend asked, we cleaned it for him and it's just, a, it was a local farmer and he had had this roping steer for years. And so it was like, we want to do something special with it and showed me kind of a picture of what he wanted. And here we are, That's bedazzling cool. skulls for fun. And I actually really enjoy it. Good. I mean, I can, people will bring me a deer head um, with the fur still on it and I can skin a head in less than 10 minutes and have it ready to be cleaned. Dang, how far are you from uh, Western Colorado? <laughs> I might bring some over to you. <laughs> Pretty far, but we could figure something out, I'm sure. But okay. yeah, I, yeah. my husband, he enjoys it, but he says he has giant hands and just can't get into the little cracks and he doesn't have the patience for it. So it's just me yep. pretty much. So. I, I've done a bunch of these. I say myself with the help of my buddy, Sean, and he does, he does all of his own stuff aside from like shoulder mounts, but he's got the system down. They turn out really good. And then I do, I tried one on my own and I'm like, this is awful. Like it doesn't look good. I was terrible about it. But, um, one of the elk on the wall behind me, we, we went through this whole process. It was my first elk that I ever shot and it, it still had, like some bark 
right at the base of its its antlers. And we're like, all right, we're going to try to keep that on it throughout the whole process, and it can hang on the wall with it. So, I mean, it was it was a long process, getting the whole thing skinned, uh, doing, like, light power washing. You know, you do the bleach and the borax and all this different stuff, wrapping it, letting it sit. And it, we finish it, and it's just perfect. The, the bark is still in the antler, and I bring it to work the next day because almost everybody at my work at that point hunted. And I set it up next to my desk, and I was like, guys, check this out. Like, this is it. I finally got it done. And my cousin worked with me, and his his desk was right next to mine. And he stops, and he's looking at it, and he's like, oh, it's got something in its antler. And just, like, rips the bark out. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I had something stuck in it. And I'm like, all right, you don't understand this at all. <laughs> Like, give that back and get out of here. And I, like, had to wedge it back down in the antler. It was kind of frustrating. Oh, I would have I wedged it back. Yeah. It's still in there now. But, uh, yeah, that made me sick when he did that after all the hard work of not, like, having it break loose. That's, yeah, when we get heads that they want to preserve, like, the velvet that's, like, still stuck to it. Yeah. It's, like, ten times the work to get it to stay on. But it looks so good when it's done. What it did you do your own um, for your velvet buck that you shot that one eighty one? So it's actually at the taxidermist. Okay, I saved up. This one is actually dream buck. My grandpa shot it, but my grandma does not want it in the house. <laughs> so, so it found a spot on my wall. Oh, that's a tough life. So, yeah. So my, I'm not complaining or anything, no. but yeah, we did it. Um, we actually found a great taxidermist in Santaquin, which is just like 15 minutes north of us. And uh, he uh, didn't have like a very big clientele um, that year. No one had really shot anything. So he got it done pretty quick. Um, my other guy that we normally go to is like two years out. I mean, he's, you know, award winning and stuff. And this guy actually did a great job. So we've taken back multiple stuff. He's doing a bobcat for us. Um, my husband shot a deer last year with our daughter, um, a four point, and it's not is it's it's not that big, but the memory with it is, oh, yeah. yeah. So we're getting that one done by him, and so we got this one back pretty quick. But still waiting on my velvet deer. But I also had to save. I was in school and everything, so college tuition kind of came first. So it just kind of lived in my freezer until I could afford to take it to get it done. So hopefully it'll be done soon. I, I'm so bad with deer. My buddy was like, man, that's irresponsible. Like you need to honor that deer. And I'm like, well, I took care of the meat and all the meat's gone. And like, I didn't deal with that, but I have a deer from two seasons ago and the head is still in the, in the freezer out at the hunting property. And I'm like, I just, haven't had time to do the Euro myself. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe somebody could still do it. Like if I, oh, yeah. it. it's been frozen. So yeah, you would be just fine. Yeah. I want to try to do the beetle method. I've never done that before. Um, I know beetles are expensive. They're messy. They're smelly. But, uh, I had a guy on from the Northeast and he does that. And he's like, it's amazing. You take the deer even if you don't like fully flesh it, but if you just get the fur off of it, put it in the tub within an hour, the thing's covered in beetles. And by the next day it's completely done, ready to pull out. 
And yep. I was like, that sounds way easier. That's we did beetles here for quite a while, but it just gets so cold here. Like it's it's like it is now. It's 30 degrees outside. It's my flowers are frozen and everything. And next week it's supposed to be 85. So it's just kind of this up and down in the fall here. And so we did the beetle thing and they like even in a heated garage, they just don't fare well. And so yeah. we don't even boil anymore. It's more just me skinning them really good. And then we can just do a light power wash and nice. you're done. Yeah. But if I had like a better garage, I mean, we bought an old, old farmhouse and kind of rigged it for like my own little taxidermy shed. But nice. if I had a nice big, you know, indoor workshop where my heat wasn't coal powered and, you know, I don't have a coal burning stove and stuff. I think I could manage it a little bit better, but right now it's just, I can't ride the ride with yeah. the weather. Yeah. He said, uh, with his beetles, he had a shed and he had his own like heating and cooling system in there that ran independently on a generator. Cause I can't remember. It's like 10,000 beetles or something that he has. And he's like, they are very, climate dependent and if you yes. mess it up they're all dead yep. and he's like i just can't afford to do that so yeah he's got everything set up with a backup um but he did say his whole property smells like death all the time ours does in the fall too yeah it's just how it is yeah but i don't mind my neighbors don't seem to mind i guess they're cows but <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to mind that's awesome um, well, hey, we're coming up. Actually, we're over an hour. That that went very quickly. Um, yes, it did. I want to give you an opportunity to share where people can find you, where they can follow along with your journey, um, check out the skulls, check out the other um, products or services you might offer. So you can follow me on um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, underneath Chelsea Wilkie, um, Instagram, Twitter, you can, if you're looking for a username, it's Chelsea W Outdoors. Um, you'll see me with my grandpa holding Dream Buck. That's my pro profile picture right now. As for like anything women hunting related, you can follow Real Camel Girl on pretty much any platform. Um, it'll be Real Camel Girl. Um, and it's just a women's hunting group um, promoting women in the outdoors and whatnot. Um, as for my skulls, everything is Desert Sage skulls. You can find all of the information on, I have a Facebook and a Instagram on that. Um, I am sponsored by a lot of companies. So if you guys are in the market for a cooler, I recommend Grizzly. Um, but other than that, you can find me pretty much anywhere. If you just Google my name, Chelsea Wilkie. That's awesome. Um, can you talk about Real Camo Girl? For a second and like what, yes, so, what all is that about? So that's like the first company that I really um, kind of started with. Um, they're a women ran business um, for women in the outdoors. And their slogan is the outdoor life, but only prettier. And we run a um, online Facebook community that's just strictly for women. And um, it's kind of just a kind of pick me up because we don't get the same recognition as the male hunters in the industry. And um, you can go into a store and ask a question and they'll look at you like you're insane because you're a girl. 
So it's a great place to ask questions, to look for support, anything like that. And um, we're slowly building. We've partnered with a lot of great companies trying to promote women in the outdoors. And we're slowly trying to make that break of we don't need to be dressed in a bikini to get likes. Now, there is actual real women hunters out there that put in the work, put in the time, actually do this to provide for their families and do it because they enjoy it. And it's a family, you know, tradition of hunting and stuff. And so we've worked really hard. Um, I've been with them for like four years, maybe five. And we've grown from maybe like 5,000 followers on Instagram to 28,000. That's awesome. And they're primarily all women hunters and women hunting has grown, I think 17% in the last six months. So it's, it's on an uphill climb. Like it is climbing quick. Yeah. So, um, I think just people needed that support and needed to know like, Hey, there is other women out there that, um, hunt and do everything themselves and you can do it too. And so, um, recently we've had a lot of people that, um, a lot of girls that want to try hunting. And so it's a great place for them to, you know, find camo, you know, what do you suggest for ammo? And so it's a great online community for women by women. Yeah. So that's so cool. I've, I've got a couple people. I'm going to push that direction because um, I know even on the product side of things, like most hunting equipment is geared towards men. And even my wife, like going to going to Walmart, like I, I typically buy cheap camo and we'll go just to Walmart after the season and pick up some new stuff here and there. Well, she tries that stuff on and she's like, I look like a dude <laughs> and I don't want to look like a dude. She's like, I still want to look cute if I'm hunting, but I just, this doesn't fit right. It doesn't fit well. Like the pants don't stay up and. Um, so even from the gear side of it, it would probably be very beneficial to hear from other women who know like mm-hmm. what actually works and works for women. Yeah. I'm on team girls with guns and they're a camel company. So if she's looking for stuff like that, they have adjustable inseam and waistband, which is oh. like for women, like you can't beat that. So yeah. maybe I'll just, just pass things that you need. And they're a women ran company as well. So it's you need you need a woman to design women's clothes because men just don't understand so yeah i'll uh i'll have to pass your info information off to my wife and she can connect with you on some of that stuff because yeah she looks cute wearing all my stuff but (laughs) she also looks like she could just disappear under a pile of clothes and i'd never see her again i've been there and i've done that so well, I, I really appreciate you hopping on with me. It, I need to start like offering three hour time slots because I always like look at my soundboard and I'm like, holy cow, we're already at an hour. I don't know how it flew by that quickly. Um, but we need to reconnect also after, or as the season progresses, as you guys get out on your hunts and, uh, and catch up and see how you did. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, thanks again and uh, have a good hunting season. You too. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a great time chatting with Chelsea and hearing all about her adventures out in the woods, mule deer hunting. And when I can hear from someone 
who kind of has a similar story to me, except for she grew up hunting mule deer, I grew up hunting whitetail. It's just cool to hear, like, the way somebody else was raised in the woods, in the outdoors, and how their passion and love for it developed and grew. And so go check out all of her stuff. She's got some amazing pictures online. She's got some cool resources for women and kids that want to get into hunting, as well as check out those skulls because they're pretty sweet. The first one I saw, I was like, dang, that's awesome. Anyways, um, if you guys aren't already getting out and hunting, you need to. Fall is upon us. I know I keep talking about it like it's weeks or months or like way off in the future, but we are in the middle of a lot of hunting seasons right now, and only more are going to open up as uh, the next couple months continue. And so get out, pursue whatever it is that you love, and uh, hopefully you guys are having some success and some cool encounters with wildlife out there. Um, If you haven't already, though, please hop on, leave a review and a rating. That greatly helps me out. And the more ratings, reviews, and subscribers I get, the more uh, the the platforms kind of push it out for me. So it's almost free advertising. Um, And as well, hop on and buy a sticker. They're three bucks. And I keep getting free t-shirts and hats in the mail. And it makes me really want to come out with some of my own. So maybe... That'll be coming up here shortly. Anyways, I'm rambling now. I hope you guys have a good rest of your season, good rest of your week going into the weekend. And uh, yeah, always choose adventure and God bless.